0: Well, as we begin the new year together, I want to take advantage of these weeks in January to preach uh, some select messages that I think are uh, significant for us in trying to emerge in this coming year from the circumstances we have found ourselves in and remind us of what is most important and where our focus should be both individually and as a church and today I want to speak to you on the subject of life in the spirit. And I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 15 through 21 together. And as we gather on this first Sunday of the new year, uh, we have made it through what all of us would agree was a difficult 2020. I think we all collectively are looking for better days to come. But the reality is every year brings with it its own difficulties and defeats, as well as the blessings and the victories that God gives to us. I thought back even just over the past several years and some things that I've experienced personally and some things that we've gone through collectively. And I was reminded that while 2020 was uniquely difficult because of the particular circumstances that we've been dealing with, Uh, It was not uh, the most difficult or the only difficult year that we have ever experienced. A lot of it depends on your perspective. It depends on how you're doing, how you're interacting with things, and really what life is going like for you and your family. And I would say today that of all the gifts that God has given us, and they are many, none are more significant. Nothing is more important than his presence. And God gives us his presence through the Holy Spirit, when we know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And that's our focus today, what it means to live life in the Spirit. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Now, what we know from the Scripture is that when we come to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit regenerates us and makes us new in Christ. He indwells every believer at the moment of conversion, and he makes our bodies his temple. He baptizes us spiritually, and we are sealed, meaning that we are guaranteed for the day of redemption. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us spiritual gifts, and those spiritual gifts are intended to be exercised within the body of Christ. And God puts us together as a collective body, having been gifted for service in his church and in his kingdom. It's also the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So when we talk about wanting to be more like Jesus or growing to be more like Jesus and being conformed to his image and his character, the way that that becomes a reality in our lives is through the fruit of the Spirit. As we submit ourselves to him and we live life in the Spirit, then these things become realities in our lives. So the Holy Spirit is our helper, he's our comforter, he's our counselor, and he is our guide. I begin reading in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. We're given a word of instruction here from Paul on the importance of living the Christian life and how we can do so consistently. Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. I want to draw your attention in particular to verse 18. And the instruction in verse 18 is to not get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. What stands out here is the command to be filled with the Spirit. But along with the command, we also find a contrast. The contrast is reckless living that is symbolized here by drunkenness. Now this was particularly important in the Ephesian culture because it was the heart of the wine culture. They were bent on overindulgence. They did not care much for temperance. And we know that the Bible soundly condemns drunkenness in every regard. We're given warnings on the importance of being careful about uh, approaching these things. Because if we're not careful, we might waste our lives by being caught up in them. But the wording here, in using the contrast, is really primarily pointing us to the command Because if we follow the command to be filled with the Spirit or to keep on being filled with the Spirit, then that's going to keep us away from reckless living, whether it would be related to something specifically like alcohol or other areas of life that might lead us to waste our lives. And the wording indicates that we are to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's the idea. Constantly, continually, and in all of our lives, we are to live in the fullness of God's spirit. Now we know that the negative side of it, if we're not living in the fullness of the spirit is that we can quench or grieve the Holy spirit in our lives. Sin is what brings that about when we grieve God's spirit, but to be filled with the spirit is to live a life that is surrendered to God's presence and God's purpose for your life. Paul's already laid the foundation for this back in Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians 3 and verse 14, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family on heaven and earth is named. I grant that he may uh, grant you according to his riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through the Spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So he's been building up to this. And the recipients of this letter were encouraged to conduct themselves wisely in the world. Now, let me just ask you a question. Why does it matter whether or not we conduct ourselves wisely in the world? Why did it matter for them? Because the reputation of the gospel is impacted by the witness that you live. The reputation of the gospel and of the church of Jesus Christ is impacted by the kind of life that you live. And I want to share with you how to live life in the spirit, really from three verses primarily in Ephesians chapter five. First, if you want to live life in the spirit, you need to walk carefully as a wise person. You need to walk carefully as a wise person. Look at verse 15. He says in verse 15, pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise to pay careful attention to how you walk means to walk accurately or with precision. It's an accounting term. Think about it. If you're responsible for accounting for someone of keeping a good account of the books, the money, the records, whatever it might be. You want to be exact in what it is that you're responsible for. You want to take great care and you want to be precise. It's not enough to say, well, let's, let me give you a ballpark here. Let me, let me give you a roundabout idea here. No, if you're the one who is responsible for the details then you want to do it with precision and with care. You want to be exact. Paul uses the metaphor of walking several times in Ephesians. He says we're to walk in humility. We're to walk in unity. We're to walk in separation from the world. We're to walk in love. We're to walk in light. And now he says we're to live life in the Spirit And we're to pay careful attention to how we live or to how we walk, not as unwise people, but as wise. Now, there's a lot of pitfalls in the world. What we might refer to as spiritual landmines. I read an article about the current state of landmines in the world. It's rather fascinating. Uh, Statistics show that 60 million people around the world live in daily fear of unexploded bombs and landmines in the areas that they live in. It's estimated, get this, that there are 110 million unexploded landmines still in the ground around the world. Some 5,000 people a year are killed or maimed because they accidentally step on these things. This article highlighted in particular uh, the country of Cambodia and the border between Cambodia and Thailand and how that is an ongoing struggle to try to clear the land because as the population grows... People are actually moving into these areas along the border that are more dangerous because of these existing landmines. they started about 25 years ago a campaign to try to remove these landmines. And they're still training today what they refer to as D-miners. They're actually human beings that are trained specifically to go and look for these things and to disarm them to try to make it safe for the people living in that area. Now, I want you to imagine just for a moment as a civilian that you're living in an area where there's known landmines, thousands of them. You're just going out to plant your garden. You're going out to gather your animals in. You're going out to take care of business, whatever it might be. And you've got to watch where you step, what you do, and where you go in order not to step on one of these landmines and be maimed at a minimum or potentially be killed it would be foolish would it not to live uh, and be oblivious to these things like it wasn't a problem if you lived in one of those areas i would say to you by the same token spiritually speaking when we look at the landmines that are around us it would be foolish to live in such a way that we were oblivious to the spiritual dangers in the world Unwise people are caught up in temporary fulfillment and pleasure rather than things of eternal significance. And the word to you from the scripture is watch every step you take in the world and be careful how you live. You've got a spiritual enemy. You struggle against your own flesh. You're battling against the systems of the world. And the Bible says to us, don't be a fool. Don't be deceived. As followers of Jesus, be wise people. Peter puts it this way in first Peter chapter one and verse 14. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the holy one who called you, be holy in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God wants you to know him. He wants you to live for his glory and he wants you to live a holy life. And the only way that you can do that is if you're living life filled with the spirit, continually being filled and surrendered, uh, filled with and surrendered to the spirit and walking carefully as a wise person. Second, if you want to live life in the spirit, you need to make the most of your time, make the most of your time. Look at verse 16, making the most of your time, of the time, because the days are evil. Now, this idea of making the most of the time is also translated as redeem or redeeming the time. Now, a lot of times we think of redeeming or redemption specifically and maybe limited to the idea of salvation only. And that certainly is what God does. He redeems us. He buys us back. We're enslaved to sin. Uh, we're broken. We are without hope. And God redeems us for his own glory. When you redeem something, basically what you're doing is it's a marketplace term where you're buying something for your own use. Uh, another translation is the word uh, opportunity instead of Time. The Greek language uses two basic words for time. One refers to the passage of time. So we think about seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, uh, decades, centuries, and so on. This would be chronos, from which we get our word chronological. It's unfolding. It's somewhat uh, linear as far as the way we think about it. It goes from one point to the next point to the next point. There's a progression in it. But the other refers to the moment of opportunity that requires action. And rather than chronos, that is kairos. Chronos is a straight line. Kairos speaks about certain points on that line. It speaks about opportune moments and our time in terms of chronology is limited because our chronology is limited. Then our kairos opportunities are also limited. And that's why the psalmist prayed in Psalm 90 and verse 12, Lord, teach us to number our days. That's still a good word for us. So that we'd not be oblivious to the circumstances around us. So we'd not think that we have unlimited time. Instead, we say to God, God, help us to number our days so that we can make the most of the time that you've given us. Now, what's the specific reason that's given here that we need to make the most of our time? Because the days are evil. That's what he says. You need to do this because the days are evil. Another way to think of it is that these are desperate times. Remember, Paul wrote these words while he was chained to guards in a jail. He was writing to a people who, as far as their city was concerned, lived in a city that was very prosperous. It was a Roman province of Asia. Ephesus was a center for commerce. It was a booming city. But like many of our cities, it was a city that was given over to worldliness. In fact, the temple of Artemis was located there. Uh, That was their claim to fame. Artemis was uh, also referred to as Diana by the Romans, uh, the goddess of sex. We're talking about a lust-filled, idolatry-saturated society. Wrapped up in all sorts of sensuality and sin at the core. And not only that, but at the time, Nero was the emperor, an evil ruler, and persecution was coming quickly to the people. In fact, Paul would be beheaded because of his faith in Jesus Christ. There were dark clouds on the horizon. G. Kemble Morgan said days of moral corruption offer special opportunities for the prosecution of great enterprises for the kingdom of God. So I think for the church, one of the things that we need to do is we need to stop bemoaning the condition of the world as though the condition of the world has never been in the condition that it's currently in. Since the fall of man and since the wickedness of the days of Noah, the world has been dark in so many ways. And rather than bemoaning the darkness, what the church of the living Christ should be doing is shining the light. And when we shine the light, what happens is the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ is on display. And rather than being discouraged and even depressed about the situation we find ourselves in as though it's never been this way before. We find ourselves in a place where we're useful to God, recognizing that life is short that we are living in the present age, but there is also a coming age that is still to come. And in this moment, what we want to do is be careful not to waste our lives, but we want to redeem the time and buy up the opportunity and take advantage of what God has entrusted to us. This is our generation. This is our time. This is our moment, and we can't afford to waste it. The psalmist said in Psalm 39 and verse 4 and 5, Lord, make me aware of my end and the number of my days so that I will know how short-lived I am. In fact, you've made my days just inches long and my life span is as nothing to you. James 4 and verse 14 says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring and what your life will be, for you're like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I find it interesting how the Bible uses a number of uh, metaphors to describe the Christian life. One of the most prominent metaphors that we find in the New Testament is that of a, of a race. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9 speaks of running the race. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 certainly speaks of running the race. And the race is a, a vivid reminder to us that we face opposition. We need endurance. And it requires diligence. Friends, life is not a leisurely stroll. It is a grueling race. And from that metaphor, we also recognize that every step that we take brings us closer to the finish line. Whether it's the finish line of our lives or it's the finish line of this age when Jesus returns. Every moment of every day, every step that we're taking, we are getting closer to the finish line. Recognizing that life is fragile and fleeting and we are mortal people in weak bodies facing a perilous journey through time. So how do you make the most of your time? By praying, worshiping, reading the Bible, serving, giving, sharing the gospel, living every day, one day at a time. And friends, one day, each of us is going to leave this world. And the question is, what will we leave behind and how will we have invested our lives with the time that God has given us? I want to challenge you to make the most of your time. Don't waste the opportunity that God has placed in front of you. Make the most of your time as you live life in the Spirit. And then third, if you want to live life in the spirit, understand the will of the Lord. We now move to verse 17. Verse 17 says, so don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be foolish means don't think so, that you're somebody who is wise when you actually know Nothing. Uh, Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, he said, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the reasonings of the wise are futile. Did you know that the world is filled with volumes of knowledge that have been written and presented by people professing to be wise, but without Christ, it's all empty? There's a lot of people that present themselves as wise in this world people that you should be looking to people that are leading you on the right path whether it be in politics or entertainment or business or you can name it whatever it is and they're professing to be wise but if it's empty of christ it's the foolishness of the world you say well who is a foolish person well jesus spoke about such people a fool is captivated by the world and doesn't understand that the world is passing away. A fool engrosses himself or herself in the things of this life rather than investing themselves in the things to come. Energy is spent running after possessions and power and pleasure and people and positions in the world. And you get wrapped up in all this stuff and you think somehow that you're making your way toward a desired end. And at that desired end, you're going to find fulfillment. Fulfillment. But what's going to happen when you get there is it's going to be empty because it wasn't lasting to begin with. It was temporary all along. And if we're not careful, we can be wrapped up in our feelings rather than in the reality of life with God. The old preacher Martin Lloyd Jones said uh, that there are ways to spot a fool. He said, "A fool is governed by his feelings. He cannot endure reason. A fool is led by his desires. A fool is a person with great zeal, but without knowledge. A fool is only interested in the existential moment. Fools don't worry about the long-term consequences of their actions. A fool is impatient. Fools will not wait again because they're governed by their feelings. So how can we live as wise people and know what the will of the Lord is? Primarily through the word of God. Led by the spirit of God. If I had one thing to say to you today that I would want you to remember, I would want you to remember this. God's presence through Jesus Christ is the greatest gift that you could ever be given. And in his presence through the Lord Jesus Christ, you have his word and you have his spirit. And in his word and in his spirit. You have everything that you need pertaining to life and godliness. God has given you what you need to navigate this world and to prepare for the next. And if you will rely on him, you'll find the path. There will be a path of purpose, and in it you will find spiritual fulfillment. Paul, in commending the church at Thessalonica, wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is. As the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. So Paul said to his church at Thessalonica, when we came to you, we brought you the word of God. And I want to commend you in this moment because when we brought you the word of God, you accepted it not as a word that was from man, but as a word that was from God. So if you want to understand what the will of the Lord is, the word of God is the place to find it. And you can know that if something is contrary to the word of God, it is wrong. If it is consistent with the word of God, it is right. And you can filter every aspect of your life through the word guided by the spirit and you'll be on the right track. Let's think about those, some things that are specifically God's will for your life. It's God's will for you to be saved. If you're not saved today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, as we've entered into this new year, the very first step that you need to take is to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. He's the only hope He's the greatest gift, and if you'll trust in him, you can be saved today. Your life can change forever, and you can be with God. It's his will for you to be saved. It's God's will for you to be filled with the Spirit. We have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, but we are to be surrendered to the Spirit, which is the essence of the passage that is before us today. It is God's will for you to grow To be like Jesus. You know a lot of people set out uh, New Year's resolutions. And they have goals and uh, different things that they want to work toward. And uh, those are fine. Nothing wrong with them. As long as they're not self-centered and void of of the power of God. But do you know one goal that you can never go wrong with? One resolution you can never go wrong with? To be more like Jesus. Remember it's the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We could all use a greater measure of those things in our lives. And that's God's will that we grow to be like Jesus. And it's God's will for you to serve him in the world and to make him known. I wonder how many people in this room are listening to this message. Made it a part of their commitment in this new year to more faithfully bear witness and give a testimony to other people about the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. How many people did you talk to personally last year about how God has changed your life in Jesus and how he can change their life? How many people will you interact with this year and give a good witness of salvation in Christ? God's will is for you to apply every aspect of his word And for him to get the glory, understand what the will of the Lord is. Now let's look again here in verse 19 and 20 as I come toward a close of the message. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making music in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Friends, I believe that Christians should be the most joy-filled people of all. We should express gratitude to God with our lives. And we should submit to one another in the fear of Christ. And I want to say several things to you by way of application as I come toward the close of the message. I want to encourage you, first of all, to learn from the past. Process your losses. Some of you lost loved ones this past year. And that weighs heavy on you. You're never going to get over that. You're just going to get through it by God's grace. You're going to be able to continue to move forward in him. Remembering and recognizing the brevity of life. Others of you lost other things that were important to you. Maybe it was a goal that you didn't meet or some other measure in your life that you were looking forward to that didn't happen. And you count it as a loss in the column. you got to learn to process that and learn from the past. you got to learn to let go of your regrets. Do you know everybody in this room has some measure of regrets about something in the past? Something we would have done more faithfully or a decision that we would have made a little bit differently or a crossroads that we would have taken another direction in. All of us have those things. And you got to be willing to let go of those regrets And learn from them. And then I say to you, not only learn from the past, but secondly, live in the present. Realize every day is a gift. Learn to value what truly matters. Hold on to the people who are dear to you. The friends that are meaningful to you. The brothers and sisters in Christ that you love and care for. Value those things and value doing God's will in your life. And then look ahead toward the future. You can anticipate what is coming by faith. We've heard so much talk about darkness and doom and despair and skies falling and all the things that have happened this past year. And there have been some heavy things. I recognize that. I don't minimize any of them. But I'd also say to you, the best is yet to come if our faith is in Christ. We have to be a faith-filled people. We cannot get bogged down in the moment or in the past and somehow forget what God has put us here for. Are we just going to whine about the circumstances that we find ourselves in? Are we going to look to Jesus Christ who is the author and the finisher of our faith? What are we thinking about? What's going on in our hearts about our own spiritual walk? What do we want to see happen in our family spiritually? What do we want to see happen in this church? What are the days ahead going to look like when things begin to recover and we begin to move back in the direction that we all want to go? Those are the things we should be praying for. And hoping for and anticipating. And I say finally, you cannot change the past. It is what it is. You cannot control the future. In a sense, it will be what it's going to be. But you can live in the present with all of your hope in the Lord. And if your hope is in the Lord, You've got the greatest hope of all. Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray. Father, I don't know where people are spiritually today as we're beginning to move forward together into a new year. But I know what's available to us. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ. We can know you and know that our sins are forgiven and our lives can be filled with hope and purpose for the future. And I pray that would be the case for every one of us. Help us to let go of the past and learn from it. To live in the moment and treasure it. And to look to the future with hope and optimism and faith. And be a people that are filled with gratitude to you for all that you've done and all that you are. My prayer would be, if there's anybody on the sound of my voice that doesn't know Jesus, that today would be a, a new beginning for them. And they would say yes to him. Turning from their sins and turning to the Savior. I pray if there's a discouraged Christian here today, that they would be encouraged. They take their eyes off of the world and get their eyes on Jesus. And we are anticipating, God, what you're going to do through us and through this church. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Eric's going to sing for just a moment and I'll come back.